Today's episode of Tech Talks on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by Tech Impact, focused on unlocking prosperity by embracing technology. For more, head to techimpact.it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode three of Tech Talks with Kathy Simpson. We have two new guests for you this week. The first, Mirko Krevitin, Senior Manager of National Technology Solutions at MNP. MNP is a national full-service business advisory firm and one of the largest of its kind in Canada. Beside Mirko, we have Christopher Sim. Christopher is a Microsoft Cloud Security Expert at Bulletproof, an IT services and cybersecurity solutions company. Welcome to episode three of Tech Talks with Kathy Simpson. I'm the CEO of Tech Impact, a private sector-led organization focused on growing the economy through the use of technology. And today we're talking about the cloud and we'll dive into some of the tech, but focus really on the applicability to the business community and why it's important if I'm a student studying computer science or engineering or mathematics. So um, welcome to our guests, and I'm going to get them both to introduce themselves. And I'll start with you, Mirko, if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do and your organization. Sure. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, so my name is Mirko Kravitan. I'm based in uh, St. John, New Brunswick. So I've been working in IT since about 1995. Uh, so I've seen a lot from mainframes to <laughs> cloud and everything in between. Um, I actually find it's interesting that uh, the cloud is kind of like the mainframe of the past. It's just now it's a lot of mainframes. <laughs> but but uh, I've uh, been working. I've seen the world and technology from the view of the technologist, the, the technology manager, the customer, a consultant, an executive, and all those perspectives have really kind of helped me shape the way I look at the industry, the way I look at business problems, and the way I approach situations. So it's made me quite pragmatic and uh, and uh, reasoned in, in the way I look at these things. Um, so, you know, I work for MNP, which uh, most people in the region would know uh, acquired T4G earlier this year. Um, the MNP Technology Solutions Group, and specifically the former T4G Group, is very cloud-centric. Uh, specifically focused on data analytics in the cloud, but also the more nuts and bolts elements of cloud. So cloud migrations, um, cloud um, cloud assessments, uh, platform in the cloud, so software as a service, all those elements. So, and uh, we work with clients here locally on small projects and we work on massive uh, projects with very, very large clients also. So yeah, so I'm excited to be here. Thanks Mirko and Chris, over to you. Hi, uh, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, so my name is uh, Christopher Sim. Um, I'm a cloud security expert at Bulletproof Solutions, uh, located in the New Brunswick Maritimes. I'm actually based uh, in Ontario uh, as a remote worker, and I've been in the industry for the past 15 years. Uh, you know, started off as an infrastructure guy. You know, Windows servers, Exchange servers, uh, getting into voice and uh, uh, network security. Uh, over the past, let's say. Eight to eight years, I've been heavily into, into the consulting side. Uh, right now, I kind of form myself as a subject matter expert, kind of wrapped around the Microsoft security solutions. So I uh, 
to kind of oversee a lot of solution and technical architecture and understand and helping businesses to kind of get that that uh, end-to-end journey from what does a project look like what what solutions will they need to put in place what is the, the technical design going to look like and of course figuring out all the nuts and bolts to make sure that uh, they can you know have that ease of mind to get their projects completed uh, and then of course being at bulletproof uh, so they're located in, in the eastern maritimes uh, their their existence you know about 20 years in the industry a uh, very solid cybersecurity um, organization uh, focused around like managed security as managed security service provider that uh, they you know traditionally have done a lot of pen pen testing vulnerability testing audits compliance related uh, solutions uh, and being a, a heavy Microsoft partner, uh, we have over 12 gold competencies as a Microsoft partner in various various solutions from solution delivery to, of course, the cloud, Azure technologies to uh, modern workplace. So understanding your, your, your email, your, your file systems, uh, all the way up to um, uh, making sure that you can have your business running uh, effectively. Uh, and as well, just to add, we are also a Microsoft Impact Award winner. 2019 and 2020 from a modern workplace perspective. So your endpoints, uh, mobile device management, Windows 10, and um, uh, and your, your cloud native security solutions. So so we're uh, pretty pretty solid on that on that side of thing of the fence, and uh, we're just looking to ensure that we can you know help any organizations across government, health, uh, manufacturing, uh, utilities, uh, and we're looking to to be your partner. That's awesome. Thanks very much, Chris. So Marco, realizing that a lot of our listeners are going to be from the business community and don't have a lot of experience in the cloud, could you give us just a taste of what you think that definition of what really is cloud computing and why does it make a difference today versus three, four, five years ago in the way that businesses are operating? Yeah, it's you can come at it a number of ways. So there's the, the technology conversation, there's the operational conversation, and then there's the fiscal conversation. So from a business perspective, I'll start with the operational. Um, you know, as IT matures, as services mature, um, things that used to be, it was really imperative to own your own stuff, right? So there was a day that you just did not outsource your mail server. It just you just wouldn't think about it. You you wouldn't outsource your your database server. It's like it's impossible. I want my server over there and the blinking lights, and I want to have my own IT people who do that stuff. And as time goes on, we're realizing that um, there are very effective, cost-effective ways to do this that eliminate your need to worry about infrastructure costs, the support costs, the the maintenance, the performance enhancements, the backups, the patching, all of this stuff. And because what happens is these organizations, as technology became more and more diverse, it used to be a days you had one mainframe or one AS400 and everything was there. It it, it started divesting. When I started in the industry 25 years ago at the city of St. John, you know, doing uh, IT stuff there, we seemed to have one of everything and it only got worse over time. And everybody worked really hard, but nobody was a specialist in anything. And after a while, things would start getting away from you. And now you can start saying, you know what, there are certain systems that we can't afford to put somewhere else. For whatever reason, it could be operationally, it could be compliance, it could be regulatory. 
let's focus our internal staff on those things and let's just make our staff understand how to deal with cloud offerings, be they software as a service, be they Azure, AWS, Google, doesn't matter. Well, but they're going to be more managers of services in the cloud as opposed to managing the cloud services themselves, if that makes sense. And so on the fiscal side, it's it's the conversation of OpEx versus CapEx. And, you know, it's, and it, it depends on who you talk to. Some people find it a lot easier to write a million dollar check once than it is to increase someone's budget by $50,000 a year to do stuff. For whatever reason, but if you if you start doing the financial analysis of these things financially, the opex cost of these platforms is usually far lower and is proven than getting the capex by hiring your resources and and all of those. So, cloud in the end allows you to focus on the things that are most important to your business. It allows you to scale up and scale out in a way that you just can't reasonably do these days, unless you're a very, very large company. And it allows you to use technology that were previously completely inaccessible to you because the, the complexity of implementing the technology and then the difficulty and cost of, of, of running it made it completely out of reach for you. Now you can actually just go and say, I want a, I want to use Databricks. And bam, I could give you right now in five minutes a Databricks environment you can play and do data analytics and and give that to your team to play in or a consultant to play in. Five years ago, if you wanted to do Hadoop, which is kind of like a previous version of some sort of you know data analytics platform, you would have invested half a million dollars just to kind of get in to get in the game, and it it just made it completely out of out of sight. So, it's the idea of of uh, it it makes everything more accessible and it allows you to offload the things that are less important to organization. I really like the perspective of OpEx, CapEx, kind of those different business perspectives. Chris, when you're out working with clients or those types of conversations that you're having with the business owners who are trying to contemplate what they want to do with their applications? Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty much so. Uh, it's, for me, it's more it's a blend of the, the capex uh, opex conversation as well as ensuring that the right technology is going to fit their their actual needs. Um, and it's and even if we're just talking about the cloud and and the back in the day when we wanted to consider the private cloud being what we used to have in our own data centers controlled within our four walls and and then being able to then now offload that responsibility into another provider, such as being Microsoft, Amazon, Google, um, to then just have a, a public cloud where, where your, all your information is being pretty much uh, resided in that vendor's location. Uh, and th- right now, the, the, the conversation is, is really getting tailored to the security of it. Can we trust our data? Do we have the, the privacy and the transparency, transparency of our data being relocated in such vendors um, cloud and that would that, that be their their private cloud for the, the public um, so the the conversation is now does it make sense on our budget is do we have the right technical resources and of course do we have the security controls in place to make sure that we can re- maintain our reputation for the public so if I'm a business and I'm thinking about how do I want to run my infrastructure differently? 
Give me a sense from both of you, maybe Chris, start with you. How do you get started? How do you make it so that a business can get down this journey and path for cloud computing? Uh, yeah, it's if we look at like some of like the methodologies around starting a project and, and being able to identify at an early stage what their what their keys to success will be like uh, and being able to define that. So if I just had a high level, just talk about what uh, some of those phases will be in terms of a discovery phase to be able to understand and assess what their current state will uh, is actually at. Uh, being able to have a, a deeper dive planning phase where we're going to get into all the requirements of what is going to be re- required in terms of budget, resources, technical resources, uh, deadlines um, uh, to, to put all those in place. Uh, understanding any particular project management, change management processes, uh, education for is it something that's going to be managed by their internal team? Or is this going to be offloaded and, and managed by a, a service provider? Uh, and then, of course, the actual deployment phase. What is it? What's the what's the bells and whistles that's going to be turned on, enabled? Um, is there going to be an adoption for the end users? And of course, when all this is wrapped up, what kind of insights and reporting and, and documentation does it have to be offloaded? So with all of these pieces, we want to have build a full roadmap to say, Mr. Customer, we're going to handhold you and and bring you bring you through this journey so that you understand where we're going from. If it's if it's let's say it's email, where we want to say we want to do an email migration and get you from one on-prem platform to let's say Microsoft Office 365 Exchange email platform. What is this going to look like? What are the features you're going to get? And what's the timeline going to be put in place for you? Yeah, I, I agree with all that. It's it's um, and building off a point you made earlier, Chris, the regulatory drivers are often a big one, right? So the road mapping and understanding kind of you know what makes sense first, the order in which to do it. The idea of shifting everything all at once rarely makes sense for anybody. As much as Microsoft or Google and AWS would tell you, this shift everything at once, it's not the right way to go. I that way I will tell you. And as someone who sells cloud, I will tell you that's not the right way to go. Um, but there's often certain point things that you can just jump right into. So for example, if you have to meet some sort of new regulatory standard, you have to be SOC compliant, you have to be PCI compliant, you have to be whatever, you may have to quickly jump on a platform that is not your own because you neither have the wherewithal nor the budget to do it yourself. And you may say, you know what, I really need to move this website over to here because I am not PCI compliant and I can't get that in my data center or my private cloud provider can't get it. Um, It could be what happened with COVID, right? Everybody's talking about Teams and and Microsoft 365 and, and, and all of these, all these elements. How do I get, how do I make my workers virtual? Because I actually was talking to a friend of mine, I won't say with whom, where they've actually had to stagger their, their employees work hours because their VPN was being overrun because everything is on-prem. They don't have a big enough pipe to have everybody hitting the systems all at once. So now she's starting work at 6 a.m. and finishing work at 1.30 in the afternoon and everybody else is working staggered to try to manage this because they aren't, they don't, they can't scale up that fast. So yes, cloud migrations are, so in my view, cloud migrations are a combination of what Chris described, which is a very methodical, you know, here, step by step, it's more of a program, right? 
and it could take six months, it could take six years, right? Or anywhere in between. Um, but there's also these point things that just, you don't decide, you've been told, right? That you you must do something and really your only realistic option to be compliant or to respond is to move to a platform that is that is cloud-based. And that could be, you know, it could be a software as a service. It's not necessarily moving infrastructure out to the cloud. It could simply be just saying, we're no longer going to run this internally anymore. We're going to subscribe to the service over here by Vendor X. So I'm glad you brought up kind of the impact of COVID and how it's impacted the way businesses are operating. We've just launched, Tech Impacts just launched a new program called Digital Boost, where businesses can apply to become fund recipients, and then we'll pay 75% of those project costs uh, up to $50,000. Both of your companies are two of our approved vendors who are going to be able to work on those projects. We're really encouraged that a number of those projects are cloud-related and people are applying saying, COVID hit, we had a problem, we couldn't operate, we need to move some of our applications and infrastructure to the cloud. Do you think because of this that we're going to see a much faster adoption to some of these new technologies like cloud? I would love both of your opinions on this because of, of what's happened with the pandemic. Well, it's funny because Satya, the CEO of Microsoft, was saying at the Microsoft AGM last week that, uh, or they were talking about what he was saying, but he said, we've done six years of digital transformation in six months. That's how Microsoft sees it. So that's, that's a quote. And I mean, he'd know better than anybody. <laughs> so the, the, the explosion of growth of that. So the answer is resounding yes. It'd be very difficult to, to say otherwise. So either people have, or they're realizing, in the case of this organization I mentioned earlier, they're realizing they, they weren't able to pivot as fast as a small organization and move everything to Teams and move everything to Office 365 and Microsoft 365. And they're just going, because a lot of their systems are proprietary. They probably have their own mainframes. It's a very large organization. Um, but there, I guarantee you, they're saying, what do we do next time, right? Their pandemic preparedness, their disaster preparedness, because it's not always a pandemic. It could be any kind of disaster that could cause something like this to happen. Um, I think people like Chris and I and others are going to be very busy for the next two or three years or longer helping all these organizations either stabilize what they slapped together in the last six months <laughs> because they <laughs> or or and and deploying new technology to round out and fill in the holes of all the things they they missed because they just focus on their core enabling technologies chris same perspectives yeah same perspective i agree um uh, and, and that whole digital transformation like we it has been an explosion in the past uh, six months here um, where I've been, I've worked with clients in the past few years alone, and they have had a roadmap of three to four, sometimes three to six years of this is what our digital transformation footprint looks like. And ultimately, in the past six months, they've had to make that switch alt, um, extremely fast. Um, and the only thing I can I want to add to that is from a from a security lens is even when you have to make some sort of replacement or quick shift is to always take into consideration um, the balance between your productivity and your security um, um, posture. And the security posture for your environment is, is what's going to you know, provide that trust of, of being able to leverage the technologies. And, and of course, when everything's going to the cloud, we're getting faster uh, components such as machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, to be able to make our jobs easier. 
but we, we all sometimes we always forget. Hey, I, I've enabled this new function, such as going to Microsoft Teams, and I can I can chat, I can video, I can record my sessions. But I'm forgetting that I have sensitive data, or I may upload documents into my repository and forget how to secure it. So, uh, so we're we're definitely going to be in a in a world where moving to cloud-based products or so software as a service products is going to be the a number one driving component, especially if it's going to help to uh, provide cost savings for organizations. Uh, but at the same time, not don't don't forget about your security posture and and, the, and those areas that you should be um, trying to implement as well. So, if you think about that, talk to me about what does a customer project look like? You talked earlier, Chris, about you know discovery and interviews and implementation and planning and operations, all those components of a, of a really good project structure. I want to do a migration. How do I get started? And how do, how do you work to make it easier for the customer to make this sort of translation uh, transition? Because it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, they don't necessarily have all of that internal talent to be able to make that transition. So talk us about how do you work with clients to effectively make that change happen? Uh, yeah, well, essentially it's it's almost like a hand-holding process where depending on what the project is at hand, we we want to almost go within like a, if we can, a systematic approach where it's, it's going to involve the planning, it's going to involve education, and may, maybe ultimately it's the willingness to change because uh, a customer, if they're not forced to do, go through a digital transformation, they may tiptoe and take their time versus uh, us being able to help them understand the overall return on investment, what it's going to help to improve their security, and as well as what it may look like on the productivity side for their end users, which is uh, is also very important for them to get moving. Um, so, so, so a part of that, a part of that journey is you know making sure that we can provide the the correct, let's say, project management team and, and technical professionals. So uh, if we look at uh, our our account or and business development representatives, our solution architects who help to work work to make sure that the, the design of the work is going to be uh, properly fit for the organization. We have your know, project managers who are aligning the customer's resources, uh, the partner's resources. We have our technical architects who are helping to deliver the solution in the back end, and as well, even from an operational standpoint, we will have, uh, in most cases, a, a service desk or twenty four by seven team to have eyes on um, an analyst, analyst reports to ensure that if there is an issue or if there is an incident, uh, we have our security operations center to uh, provide that additional response time for client for our clients. So we have a full end to end. Journey and hand handholding process to ensure that we will evaluate the business impacts, we'll evaluate their costs, we'll evaluate the the the, the time and the resources to ensure that uh, we can uh, align their business needs to have them focus on what drives their business, and and uh, they can entrust that with the ease of mind that they're getting the right uh, best of practices alignment. Marco, how do you have those conversations? with customers to get them down this path of, of working. Yeah. It's interesting because um, I, I started making notes here. It's like the very first thing I wrote is you have to start where they are. And every, every client I've talked to is in a different place. 
And once you figure out where they are, then you can kind of figure out what the next step looks like and, and where you work. In some cases, it is the migration of email and something very straightforward. It's just nuts and bolts, right? And that's there's really probably not an easier project out there than migrating to email or migrating Reactive Directory to, to, to the cloud. And these things are pretty easy projects. In other cases, it's setting up uh, more lab-like environments, testing environments, training environments, places to do cool stuff. So the sandboxes because they want to be able to do things, but they just currently don't have the agility and, and means by which to ramp up and, and tear down the technology to support these things. Um, one thing I also find, and, and, and Chris mentioned this earlier, but it was change management. And, and, and change management, uh, in my experience, it has a lot to do with staffing. Um, so it's all fine and good to say CapEx versus OpEx, operational improvements, technology improvements, new technologies. But if you have a reasonably, uh, if, if you have an IT staff that's been there for a while, that have been managing systems a certain way, that are accustomed to patching servers, managing data centers, doing all of that kind of more traditional block and tackling type IT type tasks, as an IT manager or CIO, you're like, okay, but what do I do with all these people? And they're going to resist it. They're going to resist this change because they're going to be fearful. They won't understand what they're going to do in this new world. And so oftentimes, a lot of the time we spend with, you know, both, you know, all the way from the operations and kind of, you know, infrastructure support folks to the developers, to the database administrators, all of those is to show them how transferable their skills are to show them, okay, but in the new world, this is how your job works. It doesn't eliminate that, you know, that many jobs. It's, it's really, it just repoints them and makes those people that much more efficient and effective and lets them worry less about the silly things like patching, which is not silly, it's important, but it's really a huge waste of time, right? And lets them focus more on, on higher value tasks. So it is a matter of starting where they are and it's a matter of working very closely with, you have to win hearts and minds when you're doing these projects as a CIO and as a consultant. Otherwise, you will face resistance the whole way through. And worst case scenario, you'll end up with both a cloud and a data center. And that is not what you want unless it makes sense. But <laughs> you don't want to be stuck in, with one foot in both sides unless that's what your design called for because it's it, it just, well, for obvious reasons. <laughs> so both of the companies that you work with uh, are Microsoft partners. You've both won national awards for the innovative solutions that you're providing and the types of services that you're providing, which is absolutely fantastic that we have that kind of caliber here in Atlantic Canada. How do you keep your teams on top of technology? Because things are changing so quickly, it's hard for customers to stay on top of it. Talk to me about the culture that you're trying to create within your organizations around lifelong learning so your staff are able to rise to the challenge to help your clients. Maybe, Mirko, I'll start with you. Sure. It, it comes down to how we hire to begin with. It's, it's, it's the people who are curious without exception and are always looking for different ways of doing things as anyone who has worked with Microsoft I'm speaking more to those who have either worked in the Microsoft ecosystem or have Microsoft partners before Microsoft's priorities change a lot as far as which technologies are the ones they like the most every quarter it seems to change so you can't really follow that roadmap or you'll make yourself crazy really so it's more about looking at 
Uh, I hope Microsoft doesn't hear this, um, but I think they know. Um, but it's 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 a matter of understanding kind of where we want to be leaders in the industry. So for for years we promoted ourselves and 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 modeled ourselves as leaders in data analytics and 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 cloud implementations and 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 lately more around DevOps and data ops implementation. So we know those kind of very focused areas that we want to go to market. And when the market says, hey, who do we get in here to help us with data operations and to run our data uh, platforms more like a DevOps environment where we have incredible rigor around how we manage our transformations, our platforms, our reporting, uh, our data feeds, all of that stuff. Um, and then as and then people within those areas are encouraged and sometimes kind of pushed along to ensure that they stay ahead of the curve, that they're not just consuming content, they're creating content. They are the ones who are leading the charge on these areas. And, and again, like I said, are seen as experts at our clients and are sought after as those experts. So that comes, that's both, you know, getting nuts and bolts uh, certifications from Microsoft or others. But it's also about being engaged in other communities, okay? Because certifications only get you so far. Um, you you have to be in the tools. You have to be doing those sorts of projects. So we encourage people to take on projects uh, that they may not have originally considered themselves for. We encourage them to step outside of their comfort zone a little bit and 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 explore new areas. Because the reality is, some of the best ideas come from outside of a, a very focused team because you get those new perspectives in. So, you know, multidisciplinary teams play a big role in that too and in how people grow and then how our practices grow and how our company grows. Chris, how are you finding good talent to work on these types of projects? <laughs> I, I will echo a lot of what Marco just mentioned, but for the most part, uh, like uh, say for my particular team, we're, we're heavily focused around... Uh, the Microsoft 365 and, and Azure uh, security stack, uh, where uh, in, it's even a blend of the compliance stack as well. So uh, the, the, the right mindset, the, the training, uh, being able to understand how to create your own lab, your own, your own virtual environments, uh, honestly, really just diving into the tool sets and being hands-on because uh, you have to be able to prove that you're, you're able to, you know, uh, deliver and 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 understand what the the controls and the the features are 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 available to you um the certifications it, it helps it's almost like a nice little shiny ribbon for you uh to put put on your wall but uh but being engaged in the community being uh on projects um and showing that you are, are having the experience to um uh, kind of go outside of the the normal boundaries is almost like those purple unicorns. We we, we want to be able to uh, find individuals who who take cybersecurity seriously, understand the Microsoft uh, 365 stack very seriously, um, and and are willing to you know evangelize on it to so that they can talk to customers, educate them, and are willing to be hands-on in the nitty-gritty and uh, deliver demo environments, production environments, um, so that we can um, uh, you know, have that, that best foot going forward uh, on the technology side of things. So we know that uh, a segment of our listeners are going to be university and college students. 
And we've got data that says here in Atlantic Canada, we're not graduating enough students for the demand. And it's projected to get worse over the next uh, five to 10 years. So I'm a university student or I'm a college student studying computer science. I'm listening to this podcast, hearing lots about the cloud. How do I spend time while I'm still in school building up more of my knowledge in this space and exploring maybe at some of those certifications, Mirko, that you talked about? What should I be doing so that I'm ready for the workforce and I have a bit of knowledge going into this um, this cloud computing space before I even get out onto a job at a company like MMP or Bulletproof? What advice do you have, Mirko? Well, as someone, so a shout out to UNB. So I got my computer science degree at UNB and back, uh, and again, my cloud environment there was an MVS 360 uh, back or 370, whatever the mainframe there back in the day. But uh, I'm dating myself. It's, I, I wish I knew what was on the curriculum today. I'd be shocked if there weren't some cloud uh, work being done there, but it, it was kind of a, a follow-on point that I, I meant to make earlier, but it fits here also. As a student, you have more ability now than you ever had to play with new technology. Like, so when I did my undergrad, if I wanted to go play with the RS6000 machines and do some work on the, on those in, in Unix and C, I had to go apply for access to the machines and, and, and get, get some core approval and make a big case as to why I needed access to that lab and all this nonsense because there were gatekeepers everywhere to keep people away from technology because they were very limited resources with the cloud that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like get credits. Like there's free credits to Azure. I suspect that Microsoft probably has credits for students. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Um, and find out what's happening in an area or a company that you like and just go to Azure and start spinning up some services and working with it. It's, it's just so easy now, even in industry, you know, back, you know, even 10 years ago, if I wanted to work with, you know, or say five years ago, if I wanted to work with Hadoop in my company, I'd have to go and ask for a couple of virtual machines and a whole bunch of licensing and get some approvals. Now I can literally go click, 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 and within five minutes have an environment and spend 30 bucks credits, and I've just gotten a taste of it, and I can do it. So be curious, like break out of your out of your curriculum. And I know in your fourth and fifth year of computer science, you have a ton of latitude to how you do your projects. Um, at least I did when I was there, and I, I'm sure it's still the same. So go to your professors, say, I'd love to do a Databricks project. I'd love to do a Microsoft security project. I'd love to do uh, whatever and find projects that you can do that will give you credit preferably, even if, or if it won't give you credit, do it on your own for fun. But I'd be very shocked if you couldn't do a lot of this stuff and still get credit for it in your courses. Um, but so work with your professors and, and, and push, push the limits a bit because the resources are there now. And that wasn't the case even just a handful of years ago. Great advice. And we're going to be having the Dean of UMB Computer Science and the Dean at Dalhousie is two guests in the future. So we'll be asking them these types of questions. Chris, what advice would you give to someone in university today? Uh, yeah, I would honestly just say, don't be afraid to try new technologies. Um, the, the landscape is very broad. Um, infrastructure, virtualization, network with telecommunications, the data science uh, developer roles. There's a, there's a, a large spider web of, 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 uh, of career choices and technologies that you can focus on. 
And especially early in your early days, you know, this is where it's your chance to try new things. And if you can find your specialty early. So that way, once, once you kind of realize and you've, you've tried a few things and you, you get out the ones you don't really like, uh, then you can really start spreading your wings and uh, becoming a, a, an expert in that particular pillar. Uh, and then as you grow in and evolve in, in your field, um, you know, then, then it's your, you can broaden her, your horizon on some of those um, other components. Uh, and then to echo again what Marco was, was mentioning, uh, there is definitely Microsoft Azure credits available. So you so you're able to spin up new environments, uh, spin up virtual machines, understand what what the uh, you know SD WAN for the hybrid networking looks like uh, from an Azure perspective, um, and being able to really dive into the technologies from a cloud perspective because it's all uh, available to you uh, just from a click away versus trying to get approvals and, and find the right hardware, whether it's on Kijiji or, 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 or Amazon. And now you just have to find some free credits, a few clicks away, and just keep practicing. Just practice, 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 build new lab, build your test labs, destroy them, <laughs> spin them up again, and just keep challenging yourselves. So what you're saying is there's really no barriers to learning here in this space. Yeah, yeah and I'll add one more thing too. For, for all three providers like Microsoft, uh, AWS and Google, sign up for any newsletter or any notifications you get. There's so many workshops, so many in a day type activities, so data warehouse in a day, security in a day, whatever. And so, so if you're not very good at coming up with your own ideas of things to explore, let them curate it for you and you'll get things and go to these events. They will give you credits just to go to these events and you will be hands-on for many of them. And they're actually run by companies. Well, MNP, we host them. I suspect Bulletproof Pi does also. And there's dozens of companies who do all across the country. And uh, it's just a very good way to get free access to the platform and also some very good insight into how all three platforms are, uh, are, are approaching cloud and, and those services. So one final question for our students out there. I'm graduating. I'm really interested in, it could be security, could be cloud computing. Talk to me about what my first job might look like at one of your companies, because we get asked that question all the time. What's my career tra trajectory like, and how do I get started working in this space at either of your companies? Mirko, I'll get you to get us started here. Uh, we're so diversified in what we do, but in the end, it's it's a mentoring environment, right? But that's, that's the only way you grow. Um, so you will be put on a team. Uh, you will likely, it will be aligned to where your specialty or, or your interest is. Um, we typically hire based on what we need. So uh, we're looking for uh, for certain skill sets and, and, and you'll be positioned on a team, likely with a client or two and uh, and grow with that team. So it, it'd be very unlikely that you would be put somewhere kind of on your own um, and uh, and kind of fending for yourself, be more more inclined to work in a team, learn from that team, grow and evolve from there, and also be given lots of opportunity to kind of explore your interests and, and see where you want to go. Because I can tell you, I coded for about three years after graduating computer science and realized, nah, coding's not really for me. And I kind of made a shift to infrastructure and, 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 and uh, networking and data center. And yeah, that was kind of good too. And then I moved to the architecture project man, did all these different shifts. So the reality is whatever you're training for now, whatever you find interesting now, there's a very good chance that within a few years, 
you're going to pivot 180 degrees to something else and again and again and again and again and again. So whether you like it or not, <laughs> you're going to pivot. That's just the way it is. So, uh, yeah, but that's the way it's going to be. So I would suggest, so that's how it would be coming here. And again, just as a more generic piece of advice, don't get too hung up on what you're doing today because you won't be doing the same thing tomorrow at eat here or anywhere else. Probably. Chris, you had a chuckle when Marco was describing that. It probably sounds familiar. Maybe you can give us your insights about joining a company like Bulletproof. Yeah, it's a very, very similar uh, uh, methodology, methodology and approach. Because um, in, in terms of, uh, we're going to, of course, hire positions that we're that we need to fill. Uh, but essentially, some of those, let's say, level one, level two, or tier one, tier two positions, where we're looking to onboard new recruits it's that we're going to put them in an environment where they can one be mentored that they're not going to be alone but 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 three they're going to have the visibility to to see how all the uh, interacting systems are working so that they can learn business process they can learn about the technology and then they pretty much get their feet wet so that they have the chance to evolve in 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 um in their um uh, job role as well as the industry and then from there it's it's pretty much up to you as the student or as the new hire to to want to take those new challenges and go over and above to really push yourself uh, and then to Merkel's point about pivoting uh, even if this this first role you get into is not your your dream role you know being able to learn and have that visibility across the the landscape will then push you to want to pivot and then start shifting your career into other areas of focus. But that's once, but that's once you get that insights of how do business operate, how, how are businesses operating based on what they need, based on the technologies, based on your own skill set, uh, And then that's going to eventually start propelling um, your, your decision-making in the future. So I'm just going to finish up on one final question. I'm a business in Atlantic Canada. And I've been a little hesitant to embrace the kinds of things that you talked about today. Help me take that jump forward and get to that point where I'm not afraid to make a change in the way that I'm operating my technology infrastructure. What advice would you give as we close out the show? Um, maybe, Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, I guess it's, it's all about the comfort level, I guess. It's going to be... Uh, uh, show so, show solid examples of depending where you want to go in in your journey. That if you're if you're able to prove that um, the productivity of how you're doing things today versus how it's going to look in the next few months to a year time is going to drastically improve for the better. That uh, the comfort level and the willingness to change is you know it's all about you know changing uh, changing hearts and minds so that uh, so that they're willing to want to take that next step uh and when we can provide that 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 ease of comfort and that ease of mind so uh being able to sit down in a boardroom and, and whether we talk it out draw it draw it out and um and provide you know numbers for you to be able to calculate <laughs> then uh then for, for sure that's going to help to uh, you know make easier business decisions to to say this is going to provide us more value and it's going to ultimately make our com- our organization a little bit more modern so we can uh, be future a little bit more future proof. Yeah, I would agree with that. So like my, my MBA is going to come out now, but 
when I hear someone say we got to get in the cloud, my first question is why? It's not, let's do it. Because there has to be a business need and there has to be a business requirement for it. Otherwise, again, your project's going to struggle. And, you know, I don't like projects where you can't measure uh, their success or failure, their value. Um, so, and you can't measure value unless you can address need. Uh, and, and so, to Chris's point, I mean, you sit down, you have that conversation. Like, what do you have? What are you doing today? Where are you struggling? Where are you succeeding? Are you going to grow 10 times in the next five years? Or do you want to stay exactly the same? Um, what's your IT footprint look like now? Like, all of that stuff. And it, every business is different. Like, you know, everybody can, everybody can benefit from the cloud, but not everybody should go on the cloud, if that makes sense. Uh, because the the migration costs, the the change management, as, as mentioned earlier, all those things have an impact in your business. Is the value there to make that transition make sense? And in some cases, it may not. I, I can tell my father, he's retired now, had a construction company, and they have a bunch of IT. I would never recommend they go in the cloud. It would just be too disruptive for them. They're they're fine. What they have right now works for their payroll and their finance. It works fine, and they're not going to change. Um, but for other organizations that have a, a big growth trajectory, are being have regulatory and compliance issues, um, and would really benefit from just standing on the shoulders of others uh, and saying, you know what, that's not my core competency. I'm not really good at that. I'm just going to buy this system from here, and I'm going to implement it offsite. I'm going to pay a fee every month for it, and it's done. It's out of my hair. That may make perfect sense. So a cloud migration doesn't necessarily, and this is one of the challenges I find is for a lot of people, cloud migration means I have six boxes over here in my data center and I have to create six boxes in the cloud and replicate what's there. And that's not what a cloud migration is. Um, it's not replicating what you have in the cloud as far as infrastructure. It's replicating what you have as far as function and, and capability. And that could look very, very different in the cloud than it does in your data center and your six servers you have sitting there. So again, it's about conversations, assessing what you're doing, where you're going, your need and the value. And again, ending on the same note as we started, Kathy, CapEx, OpEx, everyone loves those words, but it's true. Like, you know, do you want to invest half a million dollars upgrading your data center? Or are you saying, how do I get around doing this? I don't want to go to the bank and extend my line of credit for that. I have a solution for you. It might be a cloud migration. Yeah, all you do is figure out how to get another $25,000 a year to, to, to pay for that. <clears throat> well, look, it's been a pleasure to have you. In, and what I've really enjoyed about the conversation is how much you're both grounded in the business case of why we do the work that we do. And, you know, sometimes people don't understand the business value that comes with the implementation of technology. And through these conversations, we're hoping to kind of peel the onion back on those conversations a little bit so that as some of the business community is listening and some of the students are listening and the technical community are listening, they can get a broader perspective on what these possibilities are because we're all about trying to grow our economy through the use of technology. And we're so fortunate to have talented organizations here in the province of New Brunswick, in all of Atlantic Canada, um, people who can work remote like Chris, um, do the work that they do. So we can't thank you enough um, for joining us today. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What was so insightful in today's dialogue was not the focus on technology for technology's sake, but on the business need for change. The cloud isn't new. It's been around for quite some time, actually. 
However, the momentum has been building and building to do more with the cloud, and the pandemic made this even more evident and obvious to businesses on the need to be moving their applications and operations to the cloud. What I found interesting about Chris and Merkel's perspectives was the need to look at technology like the cloud from a business perspective first. What problems are you trying to solve? What outcomes do you wish to achieve? What technology solution will help you to do that? And then finding a company that can help you to do this assessment and work. It was our goal to break this down for you, our listeners, and to show you that potential path forward. A big thank you to Mirko Creviton from MNP and to Chris Sim from Bulletproof for sharing their experience working with clients. We'll be back soon with our next couple of shows. We'll be diving into conversations about broadband in Atlantic Canada and about our innovation ecosystem that's so important to drive our economic recovery in Atlantic Canada. Tech Talks is brought to you by Tech Impact. Learn more at techimpact.it. The podcast is hosted by Tech Impact CEO, Kathy Simpson. It's produced by me, Matt George. It's engineered by the great Zachary Peltier and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.